0: ourselves and, uh there it is, over ourselves and the church and our country, we're going to come together. So November 2nd at 6.30 p.m., we're going to meet here and make sure that we go to God, petitioning them him that he would be at work in us and in our country, because we are in desperate need of that. Uh, so as we, I'm just going to go through a few things this morning, teaching us about what baptism is, why are we doing this? Uh, I, I can't tell you a specific. We're going to jump around a lot of different verses uh, as we go through here, uh, so I'll try to I'll try to somewhat be slow so you can follow where I'm at. But I want to talk about what we're doing here, why we're doing this this morning, and why this is such a significant thing in the lives of uh, believers. The first thing that we have to understand, as we've talked about many times, uh, is that baptism is an outward expression of the work that God has done within me. Baptism is an outward expression of the work that God has done in my heart. Uh, so what are we, we're going to talk today about what is being expressed by baptism. Uh, the first thing, though, that I want to look at is just very briefly what baptism is not. Uh, I think we'll gain a better understanding also if we understand what baptism is not. And the first thing that we understand, the baptism is not the means by which we receive salvation. Baptism is not in itself the means by which we attain salvation. Baptism is not something that is essential for bat- for salvation. Now I can receive the salvation of Christ, but it doesn't hinge on any work or ceremony that I, you, or I can take part in. We see this outlined in Ephesians chapter two, starting verse eight. It says, "For as by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it is a gift of God, not by works." so that no one can boast. What that means is that you and I should come to the place where we recognize that I am fully uh, depraved, that I am fully destitute in myself, and I have no help outside of the grace of God. You see, this is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. we talked about this before, but everything that you see in world religions is about what you can do to work hard to become something or to attain something. You do the work, and then that should outweigh your good deeds or or your evil or bad deeds, whatever they were or whatever they currently are in your life, your good. The good things that you do outweigh those things, and then you attain salvation. Or we've talked about in uh, like the New Age movements and those kind of things, you work hard so that you can become one with whatever it is they're trying to become one with. Because if you look in the New Age, everybody's looking for something different. But the point, the overarching point is that you work hard to become something or you work hard to attain something. You see, the difference is in Christianity, the Bible says we can't be good enough. I can't be. I can never work hard enough to overcome the legal debt that I owed. I can never work hard enough to pay for my legal debt. See, the difference in Christianity is it says you can't be good enough. But it says that Christ has done for me what I could not have done myself. That is the difference in the world religions. Everybody else is saying you do this and this and this and you work hard and then you will get to the point where you reach this goal. God is saying you can't reach that goal. But I've reached it for you. And if you will submit to me, I will raise you up to be my child. That is what we see in Christianity. That is why one of the reasons that baptism is not in itself something that uh, causes us to have salvation. We see this also in the thief. Uh, remember, uh, when Christ was on the cross and he was having the conversation with the thieves and uh, in Luke chapter 23, and the one was hurling insults at him and approaching Christ with this Arrogance, And the other thief was looking on and seeing the sacrificial love of God displayed to humanity through Christ. And he looks on and says, you don't know what you're saying. And that thief says to Christ, will you remember me this day? When you go into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Christ said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now was that guy baptized? He was not. So baptism is not something that is essential for our salvation. Now, it is essential to us, though. It is something that is essential to us because it's something that Christ commanded us to do. It is something he asked us to do. It is something he told us that we should do. It is essential to us because we should be obedient to the things that Christ has asked us to do, the things that he has told us he would like us to do. And what we're going to talk about just in a few moments here. Uh, going through this today, uh, is why he would ask us to do this. So baptism is not something that uh, is essential for me to receive salvation, but baptism is, though, an expression of our faith among men. Something else we see in baptism uh, is is an outward expression, again, of the inward work, meaning that when I am baptized, I am expressing to Uh, the people in the church, my friends, my family, the world, I am proclaiming to all of them that I am submitting myself to God's work, and he is at work in my heart, I am submitting to that. My hope lies in him, and I am not ashamed to express that. You see, sometimes we come to the place in the Christian faith, especially in the day we live in, where our faith is relegated to our private lives. It doesn't exist out of our private lives. Or it doesn't some people it doesn't exist out of the privacy of the church setting. So when they leave here, it doesn't exist. Their faith doesn't exist when they go in their workplace, or when they're at home, or when they're with their friends. It doesn't exist out of these safe environments where I can say the right Christian things. But then when I'm out in all of the other situations in life. The things that baptism represents in my life are no longer expressed among men. You see, baptism is something that I am expressing to everyone around me, that I am committed to this. This is something that my life will be ordered after, that the things, the truths that baptism represents, that we will look at in a moment, the truths that baptism represents are something that my life hinges on now. Every decision I make, everything I say, the ways that I view situations and people around me will be viewed through the lens of all that baptism represents. You see, baptism shows us that our faith should be something that is manifest, not just in this place, but as we are with our friends and our family, in our workplaces, everywhere that we encounter others, that our faith would be manifest among men. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the faith that we have is to be expressed. It is something that works in my heart, but it is supposed to overflow out of my heart into everything that I encounter in the world. Matthew 10, Jesus was talking of the persecution that was sure to come uh, to his disciples, and he reassures them, telling them of their value to God the Father. But he says in verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, in baptism, we are acknowledging, we are expressing our commitment to God and His principles and His work within me. Not just one moment of work, not just the moment where I receive salvation, but we are committed to His consistent work to complete His mission in me from the moment of salvation until I draw my last breath. You see, it never ends until that moment. It never ends until the moment where this life is done. There is something that God wants to continually do to refine me and transform me. The Bible says to, uh, that we will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That means that the current degree of glory that God has worked in me is not the same degree of glory that should exist in me in another week or in another month or another year or ten years. If we are transform, transformed from one degree of glory to the next... God's glory is ever increasing within my soul. And when that happens, he is making me to reflect who he is. As we've talked about many times, that was, that's what salvation is. Now it's setting us free from the penalty of sin and death. It is relieving the burden of my legal debt and giving me peace with God. But there is more to salvation than simply that. In the beginning, again, the Bible says that we were created in the image of God. But if you read a couple chapters later, somewhere around Genesis 4 or 5, it says after the fall that Adam and Eve bore another son in Adam's image. You see mankind in the beginning was created in the image of God but after the fall of man we were created in the image of our natural father now i have some of the characteristics of of a spiritual being i am able to to uh, relate to god i am able to perceive him i am able to we are separated we are more valuable than everything else in creation we are not the same as animals or anything like that but what is being said is that the image of god in me has been broken Some pieces of it remain. But what God wants to do in salvation is to relieve the legal debt and give me peace with him and fellowship with him. And in that fellowship, he is restoring in me that which was broken. So our salvation is a moment where we are committed to God and he begins his lifelong work restoring in me his image. Baptism is acknowledging God in our commitment to his work within him. So what exactly then is being expressed in the symbolism of baptism? We see this even from the beginning of the word of God. From the beginning, God has showed us through symbols and ceremonies that which he would do in the hearts of man by his mercy in Christ. We see this Uh, all through the Old Covenant, that the things in the Old Testament were types and shadows of the things that would come spiritually under the New Covenant. We see this even in in the temple of God. You see, in the Old Covenant, there was this temple in which they would go to worship. And there was, if you would go into the first room, there was, I believe it was on the left side, there was the candlesticks, and on the right side, there was the table with the bread on it. And if you go a little farther, before the most holy place where God dwelled, there was this altar of incense that they were to constantly leave that incense burning. But if you go in there, God didn't have just these arbitrary ideas of what he would like to have in his temple. Everything that was in that, he gave specific instructions as to how it would be made because it was a shadow of the spiritual things that would come in Christ. Christ lights our way. We have candlesticks. Christ provides light where there was darkness. We see that there was a table with bread. The Bible says that we don't live on bread alone, but everywhere that comes from God, that Christ is the bread of life. We go to the altar of incense, and we see then the work of Christ there. Now if you go to Revelation and you see, uh, I can't remember, I think it's chapter 5 uh, or 6, where it talks about in the throne room of God that there were these elders, and they each fell before him, and every one of them was holding a golden bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You see, all through the Word of God, incense then has represented the prayers of God's people. God knew exactly what He was doing in that moment under the Old Covenant. He was showing by a physical picture the spiritual things that would come in the future. Through Christ. He knew exactly what he was doing. This is the same thing with baptism. We see this under the old covenant in First Corinthians chapter ten. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, the picture of Moses leading the people out of Egypt and through the sea to the promised land of God was a picture of baptism. And baptism is a picture of the work that Christ was doing in us. In that moment, all that time ago, God was showing through Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt what Christ would do in our hearts. Cambridge Bible's notes says this on First Corinthians 10. It says, The passing through the cloud uh, in the sea was a type of Christian baptism in that he who passes through it exchanges a state of bondage for a state of freedom, the hard yoke of a pharaoh for the fatherly care of God. And this happens in consequence of his following the guidance of a leader sent by God. The Israelites were baptized unto Moses because by passing through the cloud in the sea, They had become connected to him, dependent on his commands and guidance. You see, in the same way, as Egypt represented slavery and bondage and sin, in that moment, that is representing my natural self, that I am a slave to sin, that I am captive in sin. But you see, God has sent me a leader to set me free from that, to lead me out of that land of slavery to new life. And as Moses would lead them out of Egypt, they came to the place where they were standing at the sea, and they see Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. And Moses calls out to God, and God says, Why are you crying out to me? Move forward. And you see the Israelites then follow Moses, who was a type of Christ. Moses in that moment was the one who was leading them out of sin, the same way that Christ leads us out of sin. They walked through the sea that was parted for them. And the moment they stepped onto the dry ground, the freedom, what happened? The sea came together. And all of those who represented captivity and slavery and sin perished in the water. What that tells us is that in baptism, it symbolizes my stepping into Christ, recognizing that my old self is to be put to death. My natural sinful self is to be put to death. And I stand in that water. And in the same way as those in Egypt were in the water and they were buried by the water and captivity and slavery and sin was destroyed in that moment, my sinful self is represented when I go under the water as being put to death and buried. And when I am raised out of that, the same way as the Israelites stepped out of what was the sea into the promised land or freedom, When I am raised out of the water in baptism, it is representing the newness of life and freedom that I have in Christ. And you see, then we step out of the water, and you notice that when they step into the water, they are going one direction, to death. And when they are raised up out of the water in new life, they are going the other direction. That is significant. You understand, because repentance means turning. Repentance means not just that I would receive salvation, I'm set free and I get to go to heaven, but I'm going one direction and I am living a life of slavery to sin. And when I am set free, I am turning and going the opposite direction. That is what we see in baptism. Romans chapter 6. Starting in verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been free from sin. You see, baptism represents my death and burial. The death of my natural self and its burial. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Ellicott's commentary said this, burial is the consequence of death. It is the seal upon it, as it were, which shows that no revival is possible. You see, the Bible says that we should count ourselves dead to sin. In that moment that I step into the water, I am acknowledging to everyone that I am committed to following the ways of God, and whatever it takes, I will be dead to the former ways of life. I will be dead to the things that have, the Bible says, throw off the things that so easily inha- entangle you, the sins that so easily entangle you. And stepping into baptism, I am acknowledged, acknowledging to everyone that I need freedom from this. And I am going to leave it in the grave. I'm going to be dead to this. Now does somebody who has died respond to anything? I remember my pastor in Brookville one time using somewhat graphic illustration saying if we wheeled in a dead body and lean it up against the wall and you paraded every kind of sinful thing you can imagine in front of that body, would the body respond? No. You see, that is how I am supposed to be when I consider sinful things. I am dead to sin. It is buried. Because I recognize that when I am raised from the grave in Christ, the Bible says that we are born again with him. When I receive him, the old is gone and the new has come. I am raised to new life. And all of the things that I used to respond to in life should be left at the grave. Why? You see, there are a lot of people that think that the things that God asks of you and I, that he is robbing us of some sort of joy. I promise I'm almost done and then we'll get to baptism. The things that God is asking of you and I, that he is trying to rob us of some sort of joy or happiness or freedom in life, that could not be further from the truth. The First thing that you and I have to understand is that freedom requires self-restraint. Freedom isn't the thing that we see in the world around us where everybody just does everything that they want to do, everything that they feel like they want to do, and that's freedom. That is not freedom. Freedom requires self-restraint. I think I've used this illustration before, but music was my life for a long time. And You know, I played in churches in the band, and I had uh, bands in the church, and then I had uh, a band that traveled some, and, uh, you know, we had some very, very talented musicians that uh, I was able to play with, and, and uh, you know, just for instance, we had uh, a girl that played uh, violin with us, and... Uh, the point of the violin is to add an artistic element to what we're doing. Uh, if, everybody, if everybody on stage was just playing drums and hammering out chords on a guitar, it wouldn't sound that exciting. So we had to have somebody on a violin to make it sound a little more artistic. Now, the point of that is everybody has to have a standard by which we enter into this moment of trying to create music together. The standard first is what key are we going to play in? You see, we agree on a key, we're going to play in in B-flat today. Now, if we all go up and we play in the key of B-flat, we're all going to be on the same page. But if the violinist gets the idea, well, I don't don't really feel like doing that today. I want to be free and play in D-flat or E-flat. They step up on stage, everybody else is playing in B-flat, and she decides, I'm going to play in E-flat. What do you think that's going to sound like? If you don't know anything about music, that will sound absolutely horrendous. Nobody will want to hear that. You see, that is exactly what it is like in our spiritual lives. The things that God has laid out, the principles that he has laid out for our life are meant for our freedom. And if I live by those principles, I can experience the greatest fulfillment and freedom that you can imagine in this life, regardless of whether I'm experiencing suffering or pain or trials, it doesn't matter. I can experience peace and joy and fullness of life in God because I am living by the principles which He has set in place to give us the greatest amount of freedom. You see, if I decide that I'm going to do my own thing, God, I know that you're trying to do all this and the key of B flat, but I don't want to do that today. I'm going to play in C today. It's not going to work might work for a little bit. But eventually people are going to get tired of it. Eventually you're going to get tired of it. Eventually it's not going to work in your spirit because freedom requires me to live up to certain principles that are set in place that are intended for you and I to experience freedom. My point in that today is as you see Our brothers and sisters go through these moments of baptism. Number one, it's not just them. You are just involved in this as they are. We participate in these things together as the body. Every member is just as involved as the others. But as they do this, be in prayer for them. Be thankful for what God has done because All that you see here represented is the fullness of life that God is offering you and I. The fullness of life that comes when I finally recognize that I am in need of freedom from the captivity of sin. And it is buried in the water. And when I am raised up, I am raised to the new life that gives me a living hope and an inheritance in Christ. In that I experience the greatest freedom and fullness of life that you can imagine. As they are raised up out of the water and they walk the other direction, they are proclaiming to you, their family and friends, and to the world, this is what life is for me now. This is what my life is committed to. I don't care if I fail at some point, but I will get up and I will continue walking in this direction because this is where life is found. Salvation is not found in that act, but that act represents the fullness of life that God offers to you and I today. As the worship team comes up, we're going to pray and then they're going to lead us in a song as we get ready for baptism and then we will begin uh, that process this morning. God, we thank you again today, this morning, for all that you have offered us in Christ. That you have offered us a living hope and an inheritance and father for the freedom that comes when number one we recognize our destitution and the captivity of sin and father when we bury that in the grave and we are raised then to new life in you we are humbled by all that you have offered us by your goodness and your mercy and your grace it is not by works It is fully different from everything else we see in other world religions, but you have offered, not that we would try to work hard enough to uh, gain access to the door where you dwell, but as your word says that you have left your place in heaven, and your word says that Christ stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. You haven't asked us to work hard to gain salvation, but you left your place to offer salvation. Father, help us to remember as we go through these moments today that every detail of the things that we do today are, today are represented, representative of the mercy and grace and fullness of life that you offer. Father, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.